1: Welcome to another episode of the Tsunami Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, Kuro, and with me I have
0: Director of Social Media for TunamiFaithful.com, Celia Rose,
1: and
2: Editorial Writer
0: Yumiko.
1: Great, so in case you haven't noticed, this is a special Toonami Faithful Ladies Takeover. And while we do love our counterparts amongst the staff, we're really excited for this first ever ladies-only recording of the Tunami Faithful Podcast. It's an opportunity to feature our own flavor and perspective. And hopefully not the fir- the last. So uh, let's get to it. And, and I'd say tsunami Faithful Ladies Takeover, but I should, I should mention that, uh, this was really, it, it, with the full support and encouragement of, um, Paul and CJ. So this isn't just us, you know, asserting ourselves. We definitely had a full cast, uh, um, kind of rally behind this project right so let's get into some news uh yesterday there was a, an announcement that the lineup for Toonami will be changing mainly Dragon Ball Super which has been heading up the block for the past few years will be moving to the three thirty a.m time slot which means we'll start off at midnight with My Hero Academia Dr. Stone at twelve thirty. One Food Wars one thirty. Promise Neverland two a.m. Black Clover two thirty. Naruto Shippuden three a.m. Attack on Titan. And from what I gathered online, uh, there seems to be a lot of positive uh, response to this change. And I, I got the impression that Jason kind of did this as an experiment. So, what are what are your thoughts?
0: I would agree with I, that. You. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs>
2: No, it's OK. No, uh, I I like the fact that uh, Dragon Ball Super is being bumped to the end of it so that, hey, you know, it's opening with a new episode of, you know, of something instead of having to wait for Dragon Ball Super to, you know, be over. And then we start with the new episodes. So I know that was like a big complaint you know, from people, but now it seems like it has made some people happy. And I saw, uh, Jason DeMarco's tweet, like, Hey, let's see how this goes. So that made me laugh. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. Um, I did see from the response on our social media, a lot of people are really happy about this change. There were some people that were kind of bummed by it. Uh, and I'm sorry to the people who really enjoy the tournament of power arc. You got to stay up until 3:30 now. Yeah. Three 30 to watch it um or you can stream it if you don't feel like watching up that late um i will say though what's kind of funny because i was looking back at some of the old schedules around this time last year in 2020 my hero was also leading the block so now we've kind of come full circle where it's back to leading uh toonami again
1: it falls right in with you know having a, a a good shonen uh start off the the block and my heracdemia's popular show and this is this is going to be a great season so I I I'm happy with it. I mean uh, recently I've had to do a lot of uh DVR watchings but when I do stay up and watch it it's nice to not cuz I've been—I've made no secret of this. I generally skip Dragon Ball Super. I don't really watch it, but I'll have it on kind of in the background, but mostly ignore it. Um, so, so it'll be—it'll be good for me personally to stay and watch it. But, but I'm—I'm I'm actually really impressed by the positive response, and—and I—I saw something that—that that struck me as well. It might be that people who are big Dragon Ball fans will actually watch the rest of the block first and stay up to, to watch their, their, uh, their power tournament um, episodes. So it could, it could be a, a more sustainable model. I, I I don't really know, but, but it seems to be overall a good thing.
0: Yes, I agree. I'm just glad I don't have to watch it anymore
1: because <laughs> for live, for the <laughs> live
0: tweeting, we split it in shifts. So now my, uh, my teammate, Steven gets to enjoy the last half of the tournament of power because he has the light, the later half of Toonami for life treating. So I hope you enjoy it, Stephen. It's in the middle <laughs> of a good fight with Kefla and Ko- and, uh, and Goku right now. So at least that part will be nice. But uh, the parts leading up to it were oof, were, <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. And and when Jiren finally showed up, and they were like, he's so super powered. I'm like, okay, we're finally gonna get a decent fight in here. And then like. You know, Top and Vegito were kind of starting to tussle, and then they interrupted it, and it was just oh, it was it very disappointing. There are, that's, I think, the thing that's most annoying about this arc, since they chose to rerun this one in particular, mm-hmm. is that there's just a lot of moments where you're like, yes, it's finally going somewhere that's somewhat entertaining, and then it goes, and now cut to this thing over here that's completely unrelated. <laughs> um, so I'm personally happy about not having to watch that anymore. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I love Jiren so much, and it's just, I have my own thoughts when it comes to that whole fight between Jiren and Goku, but just, I was just so excited whenever I was watching it about Jiren, so I'll always be a Jiren stan, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe when Super reaches the end, they can bring back OG Dragon Ball. Hint, hint. Might be kind of expensive, because it's old now, but... You know, that's the dream for me. That's my favorite <laughs> Dragon Ball, and it's the best one in my opinion. There's been a is lot. Of people asking
1: that over the years too. So you're not you're not the first nor the only person.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that kind of takes us then to what we're here to talk about. Um, Food Wars has reached the end of part one, which is essentially the, the first twelve episodes of the twenty four episode series. Uh, it picks up right after the fall selection. The series begins with the characters meeting the Council of Ten, and typical of Soma Yukihira, he boldly puts out a challenge for a food war for a seat on the Council of Ten. Only one member, Kuga, takes the bait, responding that if Soma, Soma can now perform him in sales in the up and coming Moon Festival, then he will accept for his council seat. Soma then realizes that Kuga has been dominating the moon festival with his Chinese cuisine, specifically a Sichuan style of cooking. His featured dish is Mapu Tofu, a delicious and spicy dish, which I ended up trying to make myself after seeing it on the show. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Soma initially counters with Hu Jiao Bing, a sort of a, a peppered bun with meat and sauce in the middle uh and 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 I like to to point out it's a notably a, ta- a Taiwanese mostly Taiwanese dish so I kind of love the implication of you know this this small this the small soma uh food cart versus like the big restaurant of Chinese cuisine like Taiwan versus China but yeah I don't need to need go in further on that just just something I noticed um so he starts the first few days off with pretty low sales until he capitalizes on the long lines outside of Kuga's restaurant by appealing to the impatient customers with his Yukihiro style mapu tofu, adding noodles and a giant mystery meatball with curry in it. Notably, he gets help from all his friends, uh, resulting in him finally beating Kuga on the sales of day four. However, he isn't able to stock Kuga in overall sales for the festival, so he doesn't earn his Council of Ten challenge. Though, through the process, he's earned Kuga's respect, uh, especially because we learned that Kuga had made a similar bold challenge for the number one seat and also during his first year. So, you know, friendships for him, it's all great, deliciousness. Meanwhile, Erina is, of course, successfully managing her gourmet, fine-dining restaurant when, unexpectedly, her father, Azami Nakari, walks in. Suddenly, Soma quite jauntily saunters in, prompting Azami to leave. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen the last of him, and he returns the following day, declaring himself the new head of Totsuki Academy, supported by a coup of six out of the ten council members. We learn then from the ousted Zimon that in addition to being an arrogant bastard, Ozumi uh, is also an abusive asshole to his daughter, Arina, who he raised in isolation in order to cultivate her God tongue. Ozumi announces the disbandment of all clubs and research societies, essentially forming an authoritarian rule over the school and eliminating all non-conforming styles of cooking. At first, someone doesn't really care Uh, He doesn't care about the politics until Aizen Netsuya, a member of the Ten and this newly formed Central uh, Gourmet Organization, uh, he declares that the Kyokusei Dorm, their, their dorm, is going to be razed to the ground. So Soma challenges them to a food war to save the dorm. But Aizen has been engaging in rigged food wars since the coup. So Soma unperturbed and characteristically confident in his ability goes ahead with the food war anyways um some stuff happens he he wins and saves the dorm and thanks to selma's victory the rigged food wars end and now the challengers can engage with fair judging not rigged judging so this results immediately in in alice knockery Who's Erina's cousin uh, faced a challenge, facing a challenge as she's head of her own club called Cutting Edge, and she has Kurokiba cook in her place with salmon as the Dwayne dish. Uh, Kurokiba wins, which makes sense because I don't know why anyone would win with salmon ice cream ever. No one should ever <laughs> do
0: that. That's the system. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Essentially, with very few exceptions, Central is winning the majority of the food wars, and in line with Azami's streamlining with all operations of Totsuki. Number one seat, Sukasa takes over a class of Soma's, and Soma volunteers as his shoe chef. At the end of the class, Sukasa asks Soma to join Central, who, because he's impressed with his knowledge of classic French cooking style, Soma of course refuses and they engage in their own unofficial food war with Tsukasa's seat on the 10 as his collateral. Soma then learns from him that Azami has a megalom- megalomaniacal plan to replace all food and restaurants in Japan with his gourmet style of food and cooking. And that of course strengthens Soma's resolve to beat Tsukasa. Meanwhile, Hisako, Megumi, and Erna have been spying on them this whole time, and the boys ask them to judge their two dishes. Upon tasting Soma's charcoal-grilled venison dish with sweet chestnut sauce, uh, the ladies' clothes sh- shred apart in a a cringeworthy food gasm, very epically uh, and entertainingly um, animated. Unfortunately, their intense reaction isn't enough to beat Sukasa's roast venison back strap with peppercorn and berry sauce, and Soma loses. But Tsukasa decides he's not going to force Soma to join Central because he's just too, too unpredictable. So a few days later, Azumi visits Kyokusei, presumably to intimidate the rebel group, and Soma confronts him, telling him that Joichiro Jio- Urichi- is his father, which incidentally is a revelation to Erna. It ends with Azumi declaring that it's because of Jui Chiro he's embarking on his insane food quest. Right. Uh, Celia, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the first part of season three of Food Wars?
0: Oh boy. All right. Well, uh, Food Wars season three is actually my first uh, like first time watching Food Wars all the way through. Like I've seen clips and stuff just by you know being part of different anime communities. And I'm aware of the concept because it's really, really popular and has been for a few years now. Um, so season three, there's a lot that happens in it. And like you, you know, if you were listening to that summary just now, you heard everything that happens in just 12 episodes. Right. But even though all that is happening, season three is kind of a slog. Like it it moves really slowly through all of that. Um, even just the first arc that we go through with the Lunar Festival goes on for five whole episodes. And the Lunar Festival only lasts four days. And you're starting off on the first day on that first episode of that arc. (laughs) So it's like, oh boy. Uh, And it moves really, really slow, which is, I think, my biggest complaint with it so far. I do think that bringing in Azumi was probably needed because the other students don't really feel like villains or antagonists. Like, they really just feel like kind of a... mm, Monster of the week is, I guess, the best phrase I can use to describe it, yeah. where it's like, you know, now I'm going to take on this senpai and this one and this senpai is <laughs> going to realize, wow, my Kohai is so spunky and so talented. He's got a great future. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, so that's kind of what that felt like over and over again. Like even Kuga realized that he saw himself in Soma by the end of that arc. Mm-hmm. So I am I do welcome the presence of an actual antagonist. At this point in the story, because now it feels like we've got something that can raise the stakes a little bit and something looming in the background that's really bigger than just I'm going to challenge this other student so I can prove that I can cook just as well as they can.
1: The stakes are a lot higher. Mm -hmm. The the stakes Mm -hmm. are pretty high for each individual's food wars. I mean, if you think back to the fall fall selection, uh, Soma essentially at one point gambles his own ability to, to cook or every so often him being kicked out of the school. But this time, like. They take it beyond just Soma and, and raise the stakes for the entire school, and the implications are much more far reaching for everyone. So, so yeah, even though I, I clearly dislike Ozumi, he he's a good villain. You love to hate him, and it, it, it keeps you, I guess, invested in, um, you know what where the story can go.
0: Right. He's a bad dad. Terrible dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and, and, and yeah. I'm joking because it's just fun to say. But like, I do like that he's really like a despicable person. And I feel like sometimes in anime, it's hard to find villains sometimes, maybe in, in the media that I watch, but sometimes it's hard to find a villain that doesn't come off as a bit more comical, or like their goals are just way too out there to believe someone like this could actually exist. A person like Azami seems like they could be someone you might encounter in real life. Like he's so deep in, mm-hmm. you know, in corruption and enacting his own corruption, the way he treats his daughter, like is very realistic. Well, I guess as realistic as you can get with a cartoon, but pretty <laughs> realistic for like what an abusive parenting situation looks like in terms of the mental and emotional abuse he put, um, he put Erina through. So as a villain, I think he's pretty interesting, I'd like to see how his art concludes before I give him the label of well-written, mm-hmm. but I like the setup he has so far.
1: I think that um, his, his it sounds disturbing, but that whole homogeneous way of cooking, you know, when we think about what makes not just a series, but in general cooking great is the creativity and, and individuality, ingenuity of individual chefs. Um, but it actually isn't entirely new. So so when you say he, he's somewhat believable, I think even in the cooking world he's probably believable because classic French cuisine is, is kind of known within the community as, as having that sort of snooty gourmet appeal with a very traditional style that doesn't allow with a lot of for a lot of um, creativity and individuality. So so he's he's coming from a place that on the on the chef side that makes sense but but it 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 really it's good to examine like okay well what makes what makes this academy really function you know is it is it training and all the the best uh uh the 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 best research and everything or is it fostering individuality and creativity amongst talented students mecca what are your thoughts about this season so far
2: um, well, I have watched the first two seasons and then watching the first 12 of this one. Um, I, I do agree with bringing in, um, Aaron's father as like the diabolical person. And, um, and this is like, what was interesting to me is this is the first time that we've seen Erinna shook because she has been so arrogant and all of that you know, throughout the series. But once her father showed up, she was like literally shook. And that was just interesting to see. And it was just like, oh, wow. Oh, he is something serious because Erina is shaking. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was messed up how he kept um, Erina and Alice um, apart because it was just like she was you know, he he just basically ruined, you know, that relationship between cousins. Mm-hmm. And um and it was nice seeing Alice, like, stand up to him and everything and how everybody was looking around like, oh, she's talking to him like that. And it's just like, yeah, well, that's her uncle. And she's probably getting out stuff that she's been wanting to say to him. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, the that whole personal thing of, you know, how it's making it personal with Erina and and all of that and um with her father he he is like basically taking out any and all creativity that the school is known for that they were trying to cultivate but he's just like nope i do not care about any of this indivi- individuality um <laughs> y'all are going to cook like this you're going to cook like i tell you to and That's it, and like I said, it's you know it is diabolical because it's like you know, and then for him to just show up out of out of nowhere, and then knowing that he was banned and all of this stuff, and it makes me wonder, like, well, what, well, what really happened? Yeah, and so that's why I'm like, I'm like, what really happened? But. I do like the fact that they did bring that in, because as you guys were saying, there's only so much that you can do with each week. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a food war with this person. And hey, of course, of course, I'm going to beat them. And, (laughs) you know, and all of that is just like, yeah, we needed to bring something in to kind of shake things up. And then something else that they keep touching on that I do want to find out more about Mm -hmm. is the relationship between Arina and Soma's father. Because I'm like, okay. I was like, they're hinting that he... I want to see how Soma's father was in- influential to Erin's, you know, her developing her God tongue. She Cause evidently. She worships
1: him, you know, she, yeah. she, she doesn't. And, and it's funny. Cause this whole time we know jury is Soma's father, but she doesn't comically that, that he's, he's her father. And then she, she kind of hates Soma a little bit, but like it's amusing <laughs> to us. And then when they finally walk out and she's like, Oh my gosh, like she doesn't know how to react, you know,
2: <laughs> but that's what, uh, so that's something else they've touched on that I'm, you know I want to know too like hey like what was that relationship like well you know dig more into it because we just know like she like really really looked up to him so I want them to uh I can't wait for them to dig more into that but like I said this it um bringing Erin's father in this season was truly needed (laughs) and um Yeah, it was truly needed, and I'm just glad that they're exploring that and talking about that instead of the whole, you know, the monotony of hey, each week we're going to be cooking against this person. And hey, I'll win. (laughs) So I'm glad they
1: did that. (laughs) I gotta say, and I'm probably an outlier in this regard, but I really love all the detail they get into with the food and the cooking. And I know, like, I I can see how from a plot perspective it is monotonous, but like, it's my, it's literally my favorite part of watching the show. I just see perpetual foodgasms and you know female characters with gigantic bouncing bulging breasts and and of course and and meat meat who her, aside from her name being i i find quite offensive you know perpetually wearing bikinis like uh, it it wouldn't have appealed to me except for the fact that i feel like it's really educational about food and they do it in a fun way and it's really appealing like anime food in general always looks delicious but here you know they get super detailed about these very talented characters and, and, and that, that's just, that's just the part I personally like, I I really love that they talked about spicy food. I'm a huge fan of spicy food and, and they, and the appeal of, of um, how it's both painful and pleasurable. And then the concept of ma and la and, and everything. And, and that's, that's, that was really exciting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the, I like the cooking. <laughs> I don't care about a lot. I just want to see food.
2: <laughs> and I, and I do like the fact that they like, they will break, like you were saying, they will break, you know, things down for you. Like, Hey, this, particular cooking comes from this region and they have been doing this for it. So I d- like that is interesting too cuz it's just like hell oh, I would have I wouldn't have known anything about ma and law and mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like the way that they do break down all of that stuff and like even while they're cooking they're actually explaining exactly what they're doing. So that stuff is interesting. It really is.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> so but like w- with all the exposition though, I wish that this show was more uh technically interesting Mm -hmm. like when you're looking at the animation because there's so much exposition that it would be more interesting if they had active animated shots of characters engaging in these things Uh, but with season three in particular and I think part of why it has seemed especially boring for me when they're going through these long expositions and explanations of the cooking Mm -hmm. is a lot of the times it is a still shot with the camera slowly panning up or slowly panning down like there's really not a lot of dynamic movement going on point. yeah and it makes it boring like or it cuts to um alice and soma with their super deformed chibi faces and they're doing yeah. some sort of goofy <laughs> reaction while they're talking and it's got this little animated thing showing like for example the flow in the steam convection oven that they were uh, using in one of the food wars against central and i'm like that's cool and all but could you show us them using the oven I yeah. think that would be so much more <laughs> interesting if they did that or yeah. if they're like, you know, Soma's adding such and such to his maple tofu to bring it to the next level. But instead of actually showing him putting ingredients it's, in, it's, it's product. still shots mm-hmm. and with the camera zooming out <laughs> to be dramatic, like, wow, he just threw this in the pan. And then voila, here is the very pretty illustration that, the camera's only moving in on like there's not a lot of movement even in the final food shots yeah. and mm-hmm. so that can be really off-putting especially because it's supposed to be a show and it's a series that's famous for its dynamic cooking like that's really what drew a lot of people in in the first part of the manga and in the first couple seasons
1: and they put they put enough effort into animating these these food gasms as i like to call them that which is that's, the yeah, they, they, they put a lot yeah, of effort in that's where the went. shredding of female clothing and, and, oh, you know, this, all this sound and, and, you know, if they can, if they can show that, then you make an excellent point. They can, they can show the actual cooking process.
2: Yeah. I think that's where the budget goes to like everything <laughs> silly is talking about like, no, we have to, no, we have to do the foodgasms. We have to shred the clothes and, have them naked flying (laughs) through the sea and stuff like that. That's where the budget goes to. So you can't have it silly. I'm sorry. We have to, (gasps) it has to go to the
0: food gathering. I
1: don't
0: even think it takes
1: itself seriously when they do those scenes. I don't know, but it's ridiculous.
0: (laughs) I think some of them are funny like when the old man had his,
1: <laughs> I'm like, okay,
0: that's goofy. And I love like that. I was felt like, I'm like, this is where the, I could see where people were into this. Yeah. Cause don't get me wrong. I like fan service too, you know, uh-huh. but there's also a point where I'm like, this is not enhancing the experience either of the overall visuals or to our story Because clearly the fan service is a part of the story for Food Wars in this case, where people have very strong reactions to delicious food. Um, But sometimes it feels like they're just using it to be like, remember, the food is supposed to taste really good. At least in season three, it feels that way to me, you know? And with this season in particular, a couple of them have been really uncomfortable in the way that they're like angling the camera or choosing to do their framing. Um, I'm not particularly thrilled they decided to do a food gasm for the one central member. I wish I wrote her name down, but I can't remember. She's the one that looks like she's 10 and yeah. she has purple hair and cat ears. And they did a food gasm oh, for her. Yeah. And I'm like, uh no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't yeah, care. That she's was technically weird. 17. No, but it's that's, icky. that's very icky. I don't like that at all. I didn't think it was funny or charming. I thought it was gross.
1: Well, I mean, since I think we can all agree on that point, I, I do kind of want to bring up briefly um, Soma's character specifically. And, and, and it, it really, this, this particular arc where we talked about the the monotony of the the French cuisine and, and, um, Asami, um, are a, a really crucial balance to Soma's style of cooking which he he probably learned from his his father which he he's kind of he's hyper creative and and in a way he's he's a bit of a prodigy but you see at the beginning and and, and it, it it's all through this this season but right at the beginning with him getting through the uh, lunar festival um he has brilliance and creativity but his lack of knowledge and experience, are what hold him back and those elements are really supplemented by his friends and the people he has around him so you know he can be he can be this progeny but he's only going to get as far as is so far until he's got all these people around him who say well you don't know about this let me teach you about Chinese cooking or I'm going to teach you about how to cook meat or fried chicken or or here let's help you cook and and so it brings it back to that, that sort of uh, theme of, of friendship and and shared experience. And, and also as an individual, why Soma, as talented as he is, isn't able to immediately rise to the top. It's because he lacks that knowledge and experience. So I, I like that element a lot. And it makes me it makes me like Soma as a character. And I always love instances of teamwork and friendship. I love those themes. So that that's kind of fun to see that.
2: Yeah, I like that, too. The friends coming together to help out little Soma.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really sweet. I think it offers a lot of moments for some really good uh, opportunities to show how these characters connect to one another. Granted, I'm coming in at season three, but there's a lot of people to remember in this show. (laughs) So trying to keep up with the size of the cast that where they provide the opportunities to remind you, you know, this is Ikumi, this is Issei, this is Erina, this is Hisako, this is what they do. So I, I do appreciate that they do that because it shows me that at least the the writers recognize that there's a lot of people that you have to keep track of. So so I do appreciate that. And I like also with Soma that it really kind of hits home the idea that when you're good at something, if you don't have all of the elements You really do hit a wall at some point, like you can have the talent, but if you don't have like say the fundamental skills, which I feel like Soma is missing in a lot of parts, he's kind of got a Swiss cheese approach to cooking that I see where he Mm -hmm. picks up things that he's observed other people do, but he doesn't necessarily know how to generalize and apply it all the way through by himself because he's seen it in these situations and goes, Oh, I can do that. And the times that he does try, he gets lucky. You know, and he creates a good dish because of it. But if you tried that in real life, that success rate isn't going to be really high. Mm-hmm. So I like that it kind of further drives home that that idea that just because you're talented doesn't mean you're always going to succeed. His uh, food war with Chef Sakatsa, I think, was especially um, especially emphasized that because he didn't mm-hmm. win. His dish was good and he had some good ingenuity by using the snacks from his pockets. Yeah, like a true <laughs> teenage boy. Um, of course. But Sukasa <laughs> has the skill and the training in addition to the talent, yeah. and Soma can get there. He just needs to have the additional training yeah. as well.
1: Well, so with a without um, for her, I, I think I think we've done a good job of covering this first set of food wars, um, and I think we can all agree we're looking forward to see where this this uh, plot goes and how. Ozumi's takeover will affect the next 12 episodes. I uh, obviously that's going to be the central theme and then and the things we've talked about with with Arina and her history with Jurichiro and and just in general the backstory of Soma's father um, impacting whatever the situation is now. So um I I'm I have no I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to more interesting food and um I'm hoping that the food gasm's are at least they maintain a humorous cheesy side and less the icky side but that's out of my control. <laughs> so, yep.
0: yes, I would really like a lot less camera angles going up the girl between the girls legs. God, that yeah. has happened like 3 different times in the past 2 episodes that I've watched for Tsunami yeah. live tweeting yeah. and yeah. I don't like that at all. <laughs> like no. I would prefer if they stopped doing that. These are still like, you know, their She's first year teenage girls. Exactly. <laughs> They're teenage <laughs> girls. And I'm like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> it, to, to be honest, it, if it weren't for the fact it was on Toonami, and, and obviously your things I like about the show now, but but I, I don't think I would have sought it out and watched it, despite how popular it was, just because what you see in the advertisement are those moments. And that just really did not appeal to me personally as a viewer at all.
0: Yeah, yeah same. I was, I'm was i already in that boat. I'm watching it because part of my job is to live tweet Toonami every week. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't have that responsibility and I was watching of my own volition, I would not watch Food Wars. I already know it's not meant for me. It's not a good fit for me. And that's all right.
2: Yeah.
1: But I I learned about tofu, and it was delicious. So at least I got something out of this.
0: Yes. It makes me hungry every week, at least when they show like the very nice food shots. I'm like, oh, man, I could go for some of that right now. I'm starving, (laughs) you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, if anything, uh, yeah, when I see that food, I'm like, ooh, that looks good as hell. (laughs) Right? um...
1: (laughs) So uh, I'd like to take the discussion now towards a look at Toonami as a whole. Um, We have discussed in the past how the balance of gender is critical to the creative and decision-making process on the industry side. But we haven't really focused on the programs themselves. So I really would love to explore from the perspective as female viewers, how Toonami has evolved over the years, um, specifically the programs on the block and their portrayal of female characters. And And I, I think good, good to start off right with the first decade of Toonami programming. Um, we see essentially it's advertised as an action animation block. And when you think you know, action animation. Um, you have like Thundercats. Um, we have we have Powerpuff Girls. We have Gundams, um Outlaw Star. uh, I think the He-Man, Transformers, Dragon Ball. Like a lot of uh, oh, there's Yu Yu Hakusho, Ronnie Kenshin, Neon Gen- Genesis Evangelion. And essentially, without listing everything, it's it's an animated action block, right? But you know, right off the bat, you have Sailor Moon and Sailor Moon is, is, you know, an all-female cast and, and, um, and it it, it was, it, it it was in the, a sort of a, not out of place, I don't want to say, but it was w- the only one early on that had like all these ladies. Umeko, why don't we start off with you, um, and your thoughts about the first decade of Tsunami and, and some of the programming and females on the Tsunami programs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And y'all, y'all know how I feel about Sailor Moon and I'm like rewatching it now, binge watching it. And, um, it just takes me back to, um, getting home from high school, running home. Cause I'm like, Oh, Sailor Moon is the first thing on Tsunami. Let me hurry up and get home. And, um, and just me being that teenage girl watching in all, you know, female anime, of course, I loved it because I was like, yay, yeah. because you're always so used to seeing, um, the boys. you know, stuff like, yeah, the boys, you know, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, you're just so used to that. So just for for girls to, for us to get pulled in yes yeah, sailor moon who didn't want to be fighting evil by moon like you know winning love by daylight you know <laughs> yes and um yeah because even to this day you see sailor moon is still so popular and um so I loved it and of course whenever I was younger I would want you know more shows like that but at that time I was just I was satisfied with sailor moon because I was like hey at least we have this one. So, um, but yeah, I think Sailor Moon was like very influential to, you know, like, Hey, a all female cast, it can be successful. Cause like I said, it's till this day, Sailor Moon is still around. So, but yeah, I, it was, it was really great seeing that when I was younger. And then, you know, since then, we haven't had that all female cast like that of an anime but um i would like for in the future for it to happen or um or yeah <laughs> yeah i would like to see more of like an all female cast fighting evil or you know it can be a, like even a detective agency of all females trying to take down bad guys or anything like that i think that would be um it would be good for like the younger generation, for the teenagers and young girls now for to see that, to give us. And, you know, even though, yes, I do enjoy all the other anime, too, of course. But, yeah, throwing in an anime of a full female cast would be good. And I've seen that they're, they are out there, but they're like hidden. They're hidden gems. And I would like more of those hidden gems of like an all-female, you know, anime to kind of, you know, bring bring them to the mainstream. So that's how I feel
0: Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I agree. It would be really nice, like, to see maybe an idol show on Toonami. But the problem is with idol shows, they're so expensive, (laughs) because music licensing costs so much money. But those are ones, especially in the past, like five years that have that full female cast. And like Sailor Moon, have that emphasis on relationships between friends and overcoming conflicts together, you know, so it would be nice to see them. But I know it would be difficult just because they're very pricey and be hard yeah. to get them on there.
1: Yeah. And I think what's really notable about that first part of *Tsunami*, you know, we're, we're talking about this as adults and now, you know, we can be more uh, uh, thoughtful about you know, what, what we watch and what we like, and, and that can include a lot of different types of plot elements and, and animation styles, et cetera. But, you know, when you're younger and you're watching after school, these shows, like you really just want to see some part of yourself on TV. And, and, and the thing about Sailor Moon is, you know, there was, there was a girl for each, for each girl, if you will, like you could, you could mm-hmm. relate to a character and you could feel a little bit like, You're seeing, you're seeing a part of you on the screen, you know, rather than like uh, with, with some of the other shows, which are are, are the boys club, like you can't, you can't really relate to those characters. But as as a younger viewer, that's, that's kind of important. I think the more so than are you me as you become an adult. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you look at it, because I was looking at the different types of shows that aired in the first run of Toonami versus the 2012 up until now. Yeah. Um, where you do have some really like badass female characters in these shows. Like you've got Kaoru from Roroni Kenshin and you've got um, Chris from Mobile Suit Gundam 80. You've got uh, the female characters in Naruto, like that first couple seasons leading up to the tuning arc. Do you remember when we all met Anko for the first time? And I was like, oh, my God, I love you. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Kuro and I like there's a lot of really interesting female characters. Like I remember I keyed into Teen Titans, like super hardcore, because (laughs) I really loved Starfire, and I really loved Raven. Um, But it's very rare to encounter a show where you have a female lead on Toonami. And I'm not sure if it's because the type of programming they're picked is based on popularity, you know, because because that's really what you have to do, you have to pick things that you know, are going to get people in. And most of the time, the popular shows happen to have a male lead. So it can be kind of hard to find those stories that have both of those things, where it's really popular and people are going to tune in for it, and it has a female main character. And not that there haven't been like really awesome women in the main cast, like Faye and um and Fu from Cowboy Bebop and Samurai shampoo like they're in the main cast. But yeah, Ghost in the Shell, I always forget about that one. Ghost in the Shell's got major Kusanagi. But even oh, yeah. then. Like, but even then, like, it's not really about her. It's more about the political situations that are going on in standalone complex, like yeah. trying to track down the laughing man. And I know that's done on purpose, because really, you don't know if the major is actually a man or woman anyways. Her, you know, the, the body for major is a woman, and that's the body that the major has chosen. But yeah. no one knows if major's ghost, like what the gender of, of the ghost is. Yeah, and even when you true. go into like newer stuff now, we've got Promise Neverland with Emma, but i don't see very many other shows Was the progressive or alternative for fooly cooly that had the girl as the main lead i didn't watch either of them uh, it was, but the, I second the, okay. Pro- it was the second one that character shifted okay it was the second one progressive
1: had Jin Yu and alternative had the all girls cast
0: yeah okay so we've had some but even then that's still like a very it's just like a drop in the bucket compared to some of these other ones and don't get me wrong we've had some really cool shows on tsunami and there are a lot of shows that I have seen because of Toonami. Like, even when I first got into anime back in 2003, if it weren't for Toonami, I wouldn't have seen those titles. And my journey as an anime fan would probably be quite different. But at oh, the same yeah. time, I'm like, can we have more like Sailor Moon, please? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. I really love Sailor Moon. <laughs> and I'm trying not to, like, get too excited about Fena because I think Fena looks really interesting. The mm-hmm. new co-pro that is... Supposedly, do out this year, but at the same time, I'm like, don't get your hopes up. What if it turns out to just be okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, especially because go... about her escaping slavery. I... You know, that can go one or two ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we get to to Fen, I want to go back a little bit. You know, to to so we have the break 2008, 2012, and then like you talked about, we have Ghost in the Shell, and immediately you come out with the popular shows of Shonen, Bleach, Naruto, Inuyasha. Um. Who you mentioned? Uh, they have really some great badass female characters, um, but you know, y- you get the sense of um, the main characters are the heroes; they're the ones that save the day. But now we're seeing female characters who fill in vital roles in the narration and the action, and they're not just sexual icons. They're 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 tough too. They they have special abilities and they contribute to the plot. So you know, for, for shown in shows and those specifically, it's not just, it's not just the boys club. There is like, there's something extra there that, that you can enjoy and you're, and then from there we move through, you know, 2013 soul eater. Um, soul eater is great because the the primary character, the first one you meet is Maka and Maka isn't voluptuous. She's, she's just uh, ordinary but she's strong and she's tough and she's she comes out really on top and and at the same time she has a male counterpart and then so so all of the the whole element of soul eater is 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 about balance you have female male uh partnerships um and then equally you've haruko who's who's very quirky and a strong personality but um but that's primarily a Coming of age story for Naoka, you know, who's a boy. Even though you have the the most notable element is Har- Haruko being like she. It's really hard not to notice her. She's she's pretty impactful. Um, the actual plot of the story revolves around Na- Naoka's coming of age. So so we're seeing, I think, the first part of the comeback. Like it, it struck me as like an effort to to have balance. I think the shows were selected not just because of rich story and good action but like you have a balance of of character representation. Is right is that is that would you would you say that maybe that's that's kind of an element?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I believe um, I believe it is. That's
0: I'm not so bit. certain on that mostly because that's not how the industry runs. Yeah. You got to get what's going to get people to tune in.
1: So you think it's primarily so it, driven by viewership and not by uh content?
0: Yeah, well, the content that's going to bring people in, yeah. yeah. Because because the route, like One of the things that I kind of miss with current Toonami and like, granted, I came to Toonami in its previous iteration, kind of late, like around 2004, 2005. So there are already some pretty popular titles on it. But when you look back on the history of it, Toonami was the place to find things that you may not have found on your own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the Gundam OAVs. That's a treat giant robot week. Like the only way you could get some of those shows at that time was through fan sub VHS tapes or, you know, um, let's see around 2003. I don't think Evangelion was available through ADV just yet. I don't remember. Um, Mm -mm. but like, like, you know what I mean? So those are things that were really like cool and under the radar. And like, here's this new awesome thing that you may not have thought you liked and we're presenting it to you. And, and I feel like Tsunami now in an effort to stay on the air, which I appreciate and I understand there is still a business, yeah. kind of strays away with that. And I feel like that's why we don't have as many experimental titles. Like one of the things I was thinking about was Michiko and Hachin, which I kind of caught bits and pieces of mm-hmm. when it was airing on Tsunami. Like mm-hmm. that's a cool show. It's directed by Sayo yamamoto yeah. It's about, you know, a woman of color is the lead. Yes. And it doesn't take place in Japan like this sounds like a really cool show. Um, But uh, actually, I should watch watch that all the way through. I have it on Blu-ray anyways. But that's an example of something that like I'd like to see a little bit more of just let's do something a little different instead of bringing in powerhouses that we know are going to win all the way through because like even though as much as i love sailor moon i know that sailor moon is guaranteed to make anybody lots of money mm-hmm. which is why yeah. the eternal movies are coming to streaming outside of japan in less than six months after yeah. they were in theaters in japan so, <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean yeah. so, <laughs> well you, you know yeah. so, you make like, a good point yeah.
1: about michiko and Hachen. that whole year 2015 you actually have three shows, not just Michiko Noachin. You have Akame Ga Kill and Kill a Kill. And, and yeah. those are huge <laughs> titles with like a, a big prominent female cast. So, and and this was from like following on the, the previous year in 2014, you know, those Toonami promos, there was actually a specific Ladies of Toonami promo, which featured a bunch of female characters from the previous year in the current showing, Star Wars, Clone, Star Wars, Clone Wars, Lee Chesao and Uyasha, and then Sarah of course narrating so so then we go into 2015 and we have this this year of of some strong and 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 also like different a different style of of animated female characters Umeko, do you want to want to talk about that a little bit
2: yeah um I don't know if um Black Lagoon was I forget what year year that was um I think, airing I think that's but the same time Oh, yeah, but you know, Revy, when I saw her and h- saw how she was, I was like, yes. And you know, and just the relationship between her and um, that nun I forget the nun's name, but that was just funny. And just seeing, you know, the female characters and that I loved it. And that and Michiko and Hachen, um, I would love to rewatch that because I really enjoy that too. And like I said, I think. That was that was a good, you know, a good time in Toonami where, you know, we got those um, strong um, female characters. And like you said, I uh, make a kill. I mean, those ladies were awesome, mm-hmm. you know, and how they were trying to, you know, take down the corrupt government. It was just it was just awesome. And I just I rewatched that, I think, a couple of years ago. And I was like, man, this. I was, this show was good. And then like you were saying, it's just like, I know, you know, for business reasons, they're leaning more toward what they know people are going to come in and tune in. But yeah, I miss that element of, uh, Hey, here's an anime that you may like, or here's this hidden gem. And, you yeah. know, I wish, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I wish I'm like, please throw a hidden gem in there somewhere, please. Just, you know in between my hero and everything else throw in this good one so and um so that's why I wished you know we got we got back to that those hidden gems um in the in the lineup but yeah that was that was an awesome time in Toonami where those you know we had those um anime with those strong female characters in there and I you know want want them to come back to that (laughs)
1: I, I wanna, right. I want to take that opportunity to also point out, you know, the people working behind the scenes. We talked about before, um, Chris Hartley, Kim Manning, and Sarah Hardy. They're 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 the female staff working in Adult Swim who help provide production and content and 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 sort of sort through for quality programming. And, and then, you know, Jason DeMarco, he he's very vocal about wanting to have diversity and creativity on the show and 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 so i think i think they they you know we we can say for sure that that older toonami probably put more of an emphasis on hidden gems as opposed to today where they're they're focused more on content but but it, it's definitely an effort, you know. These are names I, I I think it's important to mention that that's that's part of what they they attempt to do, and and then we have so we have this year in 2015 where um the, we they bring these three hidden gems and they prove to be pretty popular. I, I personally never really got into Kill a Kill. That the story didn't really appeal to me. Um, I liked the animation style a lot, but I didn't like. Like the the more or less subject matter and the nudity, I just it just made me uncomfortable. And, and maybe may like in 2015, I was at that age where I was just looking for something different. But I know it was it was a lot of people loved it. Um, so so there we we had that. And then let's fast forward a few years
0: right. later. Although Kill a Kill was not much of a hidden gem. Like I went to AX in 2015, yeah. and there was Kill a Kill everywhere. That show was like extremely popular Yeah. when you, you know, it was Hiroyuki Imaishi unbridled for the first time since he left Gainax Mm -hmm. and available, you know, for TV broadcast. So I wouldn't say it was much of a hidden gem, but it was definitely extremely popular. Like you really couldn't go anywhere without seeing any mention of um, of Ryuko and of her powers with, uh, what's his name? The sailor suit. I'm getting old. I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. You know I, mean? I don't
2: remember either.
1: <laughs> well, well, I mean, Huchiko and Hachin was arguably a hidden gem, right?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. That one was definitely one that I think developed the cult following as more people heard about it. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah. otherwise, if you ask people, you know, hey, have you heard of this show? They're going to be like, what is that?
1: So let's fast forward a few years. We have Fully Cooley um, rebooting with uh, Fully Cooley Alternative and Fully Cooley Progressive. Um, and, and I know from reading about the series creator that his, his goal was to, to break the rules with, with animation and, and that you see a, a sort of continuation of that with these two shows from um, Production IG. And, and, and just as a side note, Production I.D. the U.S. executive producer, is is female as well and a great friend to the Nami faithful. Anyway, um, Fuli coolly Alternative, which features a group of girls. And the theme of, of friendship and their in their conflicts and such. And then Fuli up Progressive um, has Haruko have a uh, counterpart who is Jinu. And she she has a distinctly opposite personality, but equally a strong presence. So um whereas we saw like coming of age about in the original Fuli Kuli is being male coming age of age story, now we're seeing it's kind of more of an anyone coming of age story and 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 has some a variety of exciting characters and, and it, it it's like they tried to give something for everybody but still stay true to what made the original such an appealing uh, series. And now we're we're up to today where we can we have like series like SAO and Food Wars. And and I I gotta say this and and feel free to disagree with me and to 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 give your opinion. But you you have main characters like Asuna and SAO. Or Arina and, and Food Wars, it, it, you know, replace it with any character, um, and they're they're prominent. They're they have their strength of their own, but then it it feels like they always have to balance it with a very sexualized portrayal, like random shots to the breasts or like strong situations of vulnerability and and their interaction with some of their male counterparts. So it's like like. That's what's popular today and that's what's showing. And these are shows, you know, I, I watch and for the most part I enjoy. But, like, it, it just irks me that we still can't have this, have this portrayal without that element of that sexualization or, you know, they, they have to be, quote unquote, feminized. They have to be made female. And we have to show that by highlighting these parts. And, and feel free to disagree with me. This is just purely my perspective.
0: Well, with Sword Art in particular, Sword Art Online is very strictly a male power fantasy. Uh, there's, It's really one of the things that uh, it's not the first story about a young man traveling to another world and finding extreme powers. And all the girls want to sleep with him and think he's the hottest thing they've ever seen. You know, like he shows up. And like episode four, and there's a girl who sees his high level and gets a crush on him and falls in love with him right away. It's a little, it's a little absurd, you know, so but that's part of it is it's part of the fantasy where the viewer can put themselves in Kirito's shoes and go, oh, look at this lovely character like Asuna. Isn't she the ideal woman? She is good at this video game with me, which means she can play. She's also very feminine and she'll do anything that I ask because she's so devoted to me. And that's one of the issues actually that I have with sword art, aside from just poor writing and characterization to begin with. I only made it through the first season and I couldn't take any more. <laughs> like, no, this isn't going further. But when you have media that's really set up to be kind of a self insert, and this is something that you see a lot more of, especially in the past 10 years, where you know it's intended for the viewer to kind of live out a fantasy through the story, you're gonna encounter a lot more of that because that's really what they're intended to be there for is to be like, wouldn't you like to have this thing in real life type of thing. And then that's where you get this conflict where you have this character that on her on her own right is arguably very the strongest, one of the strongest fighters in that series. So much so that she's getting her own spin-off story and she's very popular. Right. But because it's about Kirito and about the viewer viewing things through Kirito's eyes and putting themselves in his perspective, you have to see it Kirito's way and make it appealing in that way. Which is a really big downside to sword art in my opinion,
1: umeko what do you what are you thinking here? you know, with with the female characters in like the most recent few years uh, uh programs?
2: Uh, I'm not too familiar with uh, sword art online. um it's just one of those. I'm like, yeah, i'm I'm gonna skip over this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of um. It does uh, well. Just hearing you talk about that puts me in the um. M- just reminds me of Death Note, which that has has that no. It, they used to show that before of uh, like whenever they were showing anime on Adult Swim, um, and just how uh the what's our name the female character on there oh Misa uh, Misa Misa yeah that's right how you know how. With her, like she had a death note too, and she was just as powerful as um, Light. But she just saw Light, and like, oh my gosh, you're just—I'll do anything you want me to do, and I just want to be devoted to you. So that just kind of reminded me of that. So it's just like—I guess it's just still that continuation of, uh, you know, female that's just as powerful, just as you know, just as good. But like you said, they got to, you know have her like bow down or whatever to the male character to be like, you know, oh, but I'm just so in love with you and I'll just do anything for you and not like, hey, I'm I'm equally as badass as you, but it's like, they have to throw that in there. Like, Oh, I'm just so weak with love for you. And,
0: um, <laughs> right. With, Especially cause she was yeah. terrifying. Like if you think about some of the methods that she used and how oh, she got yeah. the Shinigami eyes and stuff, she's scary. Like if oh, I yeah. were to face light, you know, light or Misa, I'll pick light any day. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Misa is very, it's like borderline psychopath. And, yeah, and I think that's the way her devotion was supposed to come off. And it ended up not necessarily like hitting that target entirely, which is kind of a shame because I feel like the obsessive devotion would add to the, like the scariness and the creepiness of the story overall, but -hmm. it really just made her look like all she wanted to do was just be like, light, take me, you know I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And and just thinking about this of the, um, of the female characters of like, now that are airing um Gone on Toonami, I have to give it to I have to give it to Black Clover because the female characters on there um are wonderful. And I think that's like the better portrayals that I've seen so far of like, you know, what's currently airing of strong female characters that um that can really hold their own because I love me Samara Leona. Mm-hmm. Like every time oh, she yeah. shows up, I'm mm-hmm. like
1: yes,
2: because she's just like I, you know, <laughs> I just love her sister. so much.
1: I adore her, and I get <laughs> so excited with well, that whole family is just totally my my forgive the term spirit animal. The whole like fiery, outgoing personality, but Mary Leona's fantastic, and she's scary but also really smart and really strong. It's great.
0: Yes,
2: right. I just and I just love it when like. Yami sees her and just how he acts. He's, <laughs> he's just like, oh, crap. There she is. She is so scary. And, and Mary Leona is like, uh, oh, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so that's what that's what I have enjoyed, like, of the you know, the current lineup is yeah. just Compared Black Clover. Like, like, like too, Oh, which... don't get me
1: started. Oh, oh Force, Fire, I Force. <laughs> Fire Force. But you have um, Magi's clothes, like, just pop off oh no tamaki tamaki whose clothes are are constantly just popping off and i'm like why why did you do this everything was fine this is so good and then we have to insert a scene where she's i'm about to fight oh no my clothes just exploded off my body for no reason at all (laughs) i'm like where are we going with this why why is this here
2: And that's the, and that was the main thing that I've seen that had turned people off Mm -hmm. of Fire Force is, uh, is that because like, okay, really, was that necessary? Okay, this is too much. And they just stopped watching it. And I was just like, well, you know, and I would tell people, you know, if you can tolerate the fan service, Fire Force is good. But of course, they have to throw in, you know, like you said, she just, you know, uh, just out of nowhere, you know, her clothes just magically burn up or pop (laughs) off or whatever. And, you know, or she falls and her boob ends up in somebody's hand. And it's like, really, really? Okay.
0: (laughs) I will never forget the episode where the first half contemplates whether or not God actually exists. And then the second half is one of the white clad utilizing adult erotic materials to try to make himself resist Tamaki's body when her clothes pop off in front of him. Literally in the same episode. It is the like biggest whiplash I've ever experienced in anime ever. (laughs) And I've watched a lot of shows (laughs) over the past Mm -hmm. like 18 years, but I'm like, how did we go from deciding whether or not God is real and question and sister Iris questioning her faith to I must resist the naked boobs. So I'm going to consume porn to do so. Like in the same episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, who decided this?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so strange. Why would you put these in the same episode?
1: I think whiplash I is a really great description of, of what the experience was. Too. <laughs> I completely had bl- like blotted that out of my mind until you mentioned it. So it's really funny that you bring that up. I'm like, oh yeah, that happened.
0: Oh yeah, it's so striking. Mm-hmm. I will never forget that.
1: <laughs> Doctor Stone's another show. I think Kohaku, for example, um, and and you know here we we mentioned this in a previous episode where uh, they they keep calling her a gorilla. Yeah. But something I still hmm. don't understand why they they do that, and and they've done the same for Maki and Fire Force maki's the not the one who's clothes pop off she's the one with the the sputter and and um yeah yeah she's so the one with the that's... second generation fire but they call like like kohaku's great she's a really she's a really good character and and even you know despite it, she she's an attractively drawn character but like she's she's got a lot going for her in terms of what she contributes to the show and then randomly they're like you're a gorilla and i'm like what what,
0: what? yeah so that's a I don't like the gorilla thing. It's a localization choice because in the original Japanese dialogue, it's kind of a running joke to refer to women who are somewhat muscular as being hulking like a gorilla, Mm -hmm. which is where that comes from. And it's supposed to be like a gag. Um, But in English, that doesn't translate well, (laughs) especially because like in Fire Force in particular, they don't even have a lead-in for it. Like, Maki will just be like, who you calling a gorilla after they make (laughs) some sort of comment that's completely unrelated? And I'm like, hey, I know writing ADR scripts is hard, but that could have been smoother. We can (laughs) do better. That wasn't very good. We can do better. Uh You can execute the same joke, but it's got to make sense. Like, I don't personally like the gorilla gag because uh, it just kind of further reemphasizes the standard of beauty in Japan that Mm. women are supposed to be really slender and thin. Like, I don't know if you know about the, like, idea that women are supposed to be, like, I think it's 90 kilograms, which is less than 100 pounds. Oh, my God. Ooh. Maybe. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Like, for ideal beauty for th- how thin a woman should be. Yeah. Um, I hope I got that number right. I am using the imperial system because I'm an American and kilograms are very foreign to me. But yeah. it's, it's basically <laughs> that women are supposed to be very slender. Um, and the gorilla gag kind of further reemphasizes that by being like, oh, you're kind of muscular. Ha ha, you look like a gorilla. And for Kohaku in particular, it doesn't really make sense because she's yeah. pretty slender. <laughs> like she's yes, not she is. muscular like Maki is. You know, it could also be a gag that they use to, call a woman uh a, like say she's not very feminine so even though like say Kohaku isn't particularly muscular she's not a uh, stereotypical like feminine type of character she's so that may also girl. be why they're doing that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I just think that localization needs to do a little bit better in making that a smoother transition so it makes more sense
1: well so that that takes us to, to what um you mentioned earlier, Celia, which is Fena or Fina. I, I don't know what it's supposed to be called, I'm gonna admit, so just for the sake of, of this podcast, I'm gonna call her FENA. Um you know, it's it's supposedly a mature storyline with a female protagonist, um, and it looks to be we've only seen the brief preview which didn't have any dialogue in twenty twenty, but um it looks to be action packed and my understanding is it's like a combination of shonen and shoja, so you know, female prominent, but but female action. So I think I think that's really promising because it it is in itself a a gem, if you will, because it's original. And whenever we actually see it, I I'm not 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 entirely sure. Hopefully, hopefully soon. But 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 Fenna Fena, it may be um what we need to sort of add something that's not just popular to the Toonami lineup, but, but also great content. And, and you can see like, here's a, here's a strong character, but she's more than that. I, I, it's hard to say without having seen it, but, but I, my expectations they're I'm not going to say they're high, but I'm going to say like, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm I'm excited and hopeful for something like that from this kind of character.
2: Yeah. yeah me me too. I'm I'm ready for, you know, I'm ready to see it so that, you know, bring that freshness to the uh, lineup and you know, we can see how it goes from there. Yeah. You know, like you said, we hadn't we don't really know much or at least I don't know really much about it, but I'm just excited that we're we're actually getting that, you know, eventually on the lineup.
0: I think it looks really cool. And actually at the time of this recording Um, And this will probably be out before then, but it's actually going to be previewed at the Annecy Film Festival in France on June 15th, during one of the panels. I don't know if they're going to be showing a completed pre-like episode or a work in progress. Uh, When I was researching the film festival, apparently they also um, show. They're also famous for showing works in progress of famous things. Like there's been, I think it was the Red Turtle film that Studio Ghibli worked on was. Uh, previewed at Ennecy as a work in progress and a couple other really famous animated movies as well. So that's probably where we're going to get our first taste and our first bit of info on what we can expect from Fena.
1: So just to to kind of wrap things up, I think something that three of us have mentioned throughout this conversation is wanting, you know, to add to what is popular and still good content, but um, some more hidden gems. And and I would say you know, you don't necessarily have to go to fresh new content to do that. That there's existing content that has that element, and and I would argue if 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 tsunami, you know, the the pandemic was probably a great opportunity for that. Uh, that you know, they they weren't able to take advantage of, but go back and find some things. The two shows that come to mind right off the top of my head, uh, Moribito, and Heroic Age. Moribito's great because it has the element of action and fantasy that really appealed to the to the tsunami style. She's like this if for those of you who haven't seen it, she's a spear will wielding warrior who set to protect this young emperor and um, her her character they they don't they don't really make it a, a focal point of discussion saying that she's a female character who's a warrior It's just is and it's just accepted in the series and then her care she has a a sort of I don't want to say counterpart but then the the male character who who is um her companion in parts of the story is um more gentle he's like the the quote-unquote stay-at-home dad type he's the healer he's not a warrior he's like he he provides a good counterbalance to to all her and it that's such an excellent Example something something I'd like to see, and I don't see any reason why they couldn't go back and bring that on to Nami. And then the other one I I think Hero Cage heroic age because first of all it has like space which is very popular for Toonami action as well, and also you have you know princess and and. This may be slightly outdated, but still like she she's the one who who, who rallies and brings her people together. And then you have um, age who's who's the fighter and the hero. So you have them both kind of playing off each other. And, and those are the two that I think. Um, what are your thoughts? I'm going to start with you, Celia. If there's a show or, or two or another or more than one show you think of or even just commenting on these shows you could bring back, what would it be?
0: Oh, man that's a tough one. Um, I would, my ultimate dream, honestly, is to get a Macross show mm-hmm. on Tsunami, especially like Macross Frontier or Macross Delta. Uh, those are the more recent installments, uh, they're sci-fi, but it's sci-fi meets idol shows. Yeah. And that's kind of been the crux of Macross since 1982. And like, Oh, that'd be so cool to have. Cause it's got the girly elements that I like which is with the idol singers and the, and the relationship dynamics between uh, the characters that are in the love triangle. Mm -hmm. But it's also got the really cool space action with the variable fighters. You know, you've got the new models of those as well. And the CG integration in that show is like chef's kiss the way they did it where it blends in really nicely with the 2d animation looks so good. So I would love to see that on there. Uh, But As I've said before, music is expensive. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not very likely, but I can still dream. Um, And I would also really love to see, I've been thinking about this show a lot recently because it is out of print. Um, I watched it on Adult Swim back in the late 2000s and it's called Blood Plus and it's that yes! animated to the blood Oh my God, movie.
2: okay, I got so excited. I'm gone. right
0: <laughs> I love Blood Plus. Saya <laughs> is Me? so cool. i writing this and I now. You I oh, now. I love Oh my goodness. I love her yes. journey when she figures out like what her power is and who she truly is because it's yes. the continuation of Blood the Last Vampire. Um, Haji is also voiced by Crispin Freeman. You can't go wrong, okay? Like, Oh, it's so good. And the action is really awesome. It was the first like, quote unquote, scary show that I watched (laughs) because I'm a big baby when it comes to scary things. And the monsters in that show like made my skin crawl. But it is such a good show. And I remember the story ending in a really interesting way. And you never got the sense that Saya was like a damsel in distress at any point, even though she has Haji supporting her throughout the entire story. It's really her journey of discovery and figuring out what she needs to do to c- take control of her own fate. So I would really love to see that show back on Tsunami, but it's been out of print for almost a decade since yeah. Sony licensed it. So it's probably going to be really tough to get. But that is like, that's a big list one for me. I'm glad you remember it, you Miko, because yeah, like there down. aren't very many people who remember it anymore.
2: Now I want to
1: check I'll it out. Oh, the. Be- <laughs>
2: The Michael, excitement in my voice when you said that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Green blood plus. Because uh, I think about that anime every now and then, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to see that again because that was so good. And like I said, it was you know, and I always love the name Saya, but yeah, it's Saya's journey of you know, trying to remember who she is because she suffers from amnesia. So it's like, you know, she's just, you know, trying to find out who she is and little by little she's finding out. And, oh man, that is just, it's, it's so good. And She's such a good, strong uh, lead character. And like I said, she was, you know, she was, like you were saying, she was never a damsel in distress. It was all about just finding out, you know, who she is and her having her support system of you know just helping her out and all that stuff but yes bring that bring it bring it bring it and yes. um a, another um uh, I just pulled this up on um because it's on Funimation uh mm-hmm. which uh Witch, uh, Witch Hunter Robin they showed that yes. um yeah they showed that on Adult Swim like way way a while ago and um And I was like, they need to bring that back because I remember I really enjoyed it. And I and it was one of those um, series where where it was like another good female lead. And uh, since it was so long ago, you know, like I said, I'm old and I don't really remember specifics of that show. But I just I just knew how I felt. Like, I was excited to watch it, and when it came on, I was locked in. So I would love for them to, you know, if they're able to, bring back Witch Hunter Robin.
0: So, But yeah, that's a good one. I totally (laughs) forgot about Witch Hunter Robin until you said it, and I'm like, yes! I never saw that show in full, but I remember finding clips of it on YouTube back in the day when, like, that's how you found anime, was you were trying to find bits of episodes, that oh, were yeah. uploaded on, on there. Yeah, I that. Oh, and it looks yeah. so cool. I would love to see something like that come back. Yeah. Bring yeah. back my childhood. I think that's what please. everyone tells Kim and Jason. Is, bring <laughs> back my childhood, please. But these yeah. are really cool shows, Thank so you, you should definitely bring these back if you're listening. If you're listening,
1: yeah. yes.
2: <laughs> that goes all up to what we were talking about when it comes to hidden gems and series that are not that people know about, but it's not you know they didn't reach that popularity in my opinion and I'm just like, oh, bring these, please 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 bring these back.
1: I, I can't imagine it would be um, problematic and, and I don't I don't know specifically about the licensing aspect, but for if, if you if you were a producer for these shows, it would only be in your favor to sell the rights to Toonami to have it be popular again, because then you could you could sort of uh, bank on that and capitalize on that resale value of the content. So I would think, and I'll admit I'm not a business person, that it would it would be beneficial on both sides of this to have a partnership where you bring back these older shows and, and, and it's even, and and not saying that it Tsunami block has to reinvent itself in any way, not at all. Like keep doing what you're doing, but here's something you could add in and, and add that element of the, the, um, to use a a term, hopefully people will not cringe over gender diversity, but essentially a a gem, something, something great, something, something that adds, the content we're we're really craving. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully that can happen. But also, I I can't I can't imagine it it would be I can't imagine someone objecting to doing that to selling those rights to Adult Swim.
0: Licensing is hard yeah. because even though if like for example, Sony licenses Blood Plus, they're the ones who have held the license this entire time. Um at least for the home video release. Uh mm-hmm. not only do you have to get potentially Sony to work with you, but you've also got to strike up a new contract with the Japanese companies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if the companies don't exist anymore, that can be very difficult. So say you have a production committee of like eight different companies that have put funding in, but only four of those companies are still currently existing. (laughs) And maybe three of them know that they worked on it. Like you can have companies in Japan that are like, yeah, we're still here, but we never worked on that show Mm -hmm. because they don't have the documentation to prove that they did. (laughs) It can be a big headache. i've actually I've talked about this before on a previous podcast with um, V Lord and Paul before briefly, which is why like I always I try to be careful when I'm like, I really want this thing because I know that licensing is like the biggest barrier to all of it. Trying to get all the pieces in order and making sure you have the funding. To line up at like the exact moment. It's kind of like trying to get the planets to align sometimes almost. But we have mm-hmm. new Adult
1: Swim Tsunami. We believe in you guys. If anyone can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Please do it.
0: Please. <laughs> yes. And clearly, like, as, and as you listen, you know, tsunami is clearly important to a lot of us. There are a lot of other girls and women who grew up watching tsunami and that it was important to them when they were younger. There are lots of girls and women who are watching *Tsunami* now because it's still important to them. So it's not that, you know, people are looking at *Tsunami* and going, you know, ah, this needs to change to be more like what I want type yeah. of thing. It would just be nice to see stuff that kind of reflects more diverse tastes a little bit more. And I think that's really what we're trying to aim for by talking about the gender diversity that's been on the block so far.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a that's a great place to end on. so um, let's do a little a little house cleaning then. You can email us about this episode or any episode at podcast at tsunamifaithful.com. Um, please if you haven't already, follow us on Facebook, at Tuami Faithful Podcast or on Twitter, Twitter also at Tsunami Podcast. You can listen to this episode and any past episode, including um, some of the episodes we've mentioned here and interviews with other voice actors on almost everything, iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and they've been gradually expanding that. So pretty much any, any place you get your podcasts, you can find the Toonami Faithful podcast. Every episode is also streamed online at soundpod.com at Toonami slash tsunami Faithful podcast. Um, you can hear the latest, see the latest news, like the news we gave at the beginning, uh, by following at tsunami news on Twitter, or you can read the news and the, as well as editorials and reviews on tsunamifaithful.com. And if you are so able and willing, please subscribe to tsunami faithful pass um, through Patreon. Uh, that that money goes to helping fund when we're able to going to cons and um, getting interviews with actors and and production companies that you love and also to help maintain the website so rounding it out uh S- Meko, where can they find you
2: i am on twitter at blue blu underscore temptation that is my twitter come and follow me
1: and celia where can they find you
0: you can find me on Twitter at Planet's Twinkle and on Facebook at Celia Rose Cosplay. I also am on all of our social media accounts for Toonami Faithful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So anytime you tag us in a post or comment on one of ours, I can see it.
1: And i like to point out that both these ladies do an excellent job with their contributions to the website and to the Twitter account. So if you haven't already checked out, please go to the website and, and read some of the things they've written. And uh, you can find me at um, Happy Crow Kitty on Twitter. I also am an editorial writer and um, just as a little plugging, embarking on a new uh, mini article series about mythology, Japanese mythology specifically featured on shows that have been on Toonami in the past and today. Really excited about this. It's a project dear to my heart, so probably do one every few weeks. There's one coming up and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we also are trying to bring back the Toonami Talkback, so if you have any contributions to this podcast or any podcast, please respond via Twitter to, uh, the hashtag #tsunami Talkback, and Celia usually reads those, and, and if we see any interesting, we can read it on the next podcast or the next version of this tsunami Ladies Take, tsunami Faithful Ladies Takeover. So, that's it. Um, thank you to, to both my, my counterparts here and, um, peace. We're out.
2: Bye. Bye.